Tonight we start the mission, and the topic tonight is death. And death is a topic for most people that's kind of off limits. Most people do not like to meditate upon death, to think about death, because it makes them uncomfortable. So most people avoid it. But in another sense, the devil is constantly desensitizing each and every one of us here with the topic of death. What do I mean by that? When you, we look at the world around us, if you just turn on the news, especially in any big city, you're constantly hearing about murders, people that are murdered every New York City where I come, there's always someone being murdered. You turn on, uh, God forbid, I hope you're not watching, but if you're watching TV, don't let your little ones watch TV yourself. You shouldn't be watching it either. But if you turn it on, you're witnessing many millions and millions of murders as time goes on, and it desensitizes you. All of a sudden, it doesn't mean anything because it's just a common, ordinary thing that you constantly hear about. So death is a subject that we should meditate upon very frequently, Holy Mother Church tells us. And for those today, especially those without faith, they can't deal with this subject. They don't want to think about it because then they're going to have to own up to the fact that if they continue to live in their wicked lives, they're going to burn in hell for eternity. So they avoid it. And most people don't deal with death until it hits home. Till a loved one dies, mother, father, grandfather, a son, a daughter, and we see it all the time. Last night, I received a call from my sister. She told me my great uncle, he died. Please pray for his soul. His name is Michael Felina. Five years ago, I was starting the mission. My grandmother was sick. She was in the hospital. They said she was doing fine. I got on the plane. The next morning, I'm ready to start the mission. My sister called me. said, Grandma died. And I say this because this, this happens. This is life. We have to deal with this. But we have to meditate on this constantly. You know, death wasn't in the original plan of God for the human race. We have an awesome God, a loving God. And when he created Adam and Eve, he created them in sanctified, they were sanctified, in sanctified grace. They were justified. Their souls were totally pure. Okay? And they would not have to die if they didn't commit sin. So it wasn't in God's plan for humans to die. That was a, a preternatural gift that Adam and Eve had. And I want to read to you a quote from St. Anthony Mary Claret, the great missionary priest. Now, this priest was so awesome that God gave him a tremendous gift that he gave only a couple of saints, to my knowledge. And it was when he received communion, our Lord remained present in him, body, soul, and divinity, till the next communion. So for, for the last nine years of his life, he was a living, walking tabernacle. And if you ever see a picture of a bishop with a host on his chest, with rays emanating from his chest from the Eucharist, that's St. Anthony Mary Claret. You know how pure 
and holy he had to be for God to grant him that gift. What an awesome saint. He was so powerful, the Masons tried to assassinate him 14 times. 14 times. He was a great man, and they didn't succeed. 14 times. And just touch upon that, they're a wicked, evil group. The two secrets of the Mason is, number one, they worship Satan. And number two, their mission is to destroy the one true Catholic Church, because it's the only church that's from God. So anyway, listen to what St. Anthony says. He says, there is nothing that restrains man from sinning so much as the thought of death. It was the thought of death that God appealed to sin in order that our first parents, Adam and Eve, might observe the commands that he, the command that he had given them. In fact, they did not break the command, nor did they sin until Satan led them to make light of the thought of holy fear of death. Adam and Eve didn't sin until Satan came and put that evil thought into their head. He tempted them, and they, had, and they lost that fear of death. He goes on to say, the devil said basically, you will not die the death. Do not be foolish, do not be silly. He said to Eve, you will not die. When the restraint was removed, she fell miserably into sin. And then she led her husband into sin. He gave in to human respect. You know, things haven't changed. The devil has no new tricks. He comes to us. He puts doubt into your head. And then he comes with the lie. Constantly. That's not a baby in your womb. Kill it. He hasn't changed. And we should be, we should tremble when we meditate. Always meditate upon Adam and Eve and the fall. And you should tremble. And I tremble. You know why? Because Adam and Eve fell and they had preternatural gifts. Gifts that are above their nature. Infused knowledge. The gift of their integrity, which means they didn't have to fight passions like we do. They didn't have to deal with pride, lust, sloth, gluttony, envy, anger, avarice. They didn't have to deal with any of that. But they fell because she listened to the serpent. How many of you are listening to the serpent? And so, let us think continually on debt. And then we will never sin. Remember, if we keep our end before us, we will not sin. So what does it mean to die? To die is to suffer a separation of the soul from the body. Human beings are a composite of body and soul. The soul animates your body. And when death comes, your soul separates. Death is also... A separation from money or worldly interest and all your possessions, no matter how much you have. You have to leave all your cars behind, all your jewelry, all your money. You have to leave it all behind. You can't take it with you when you go. That's a fact. This old missionary I knew, 
He was preaching missions for 50 years, and he told me a true story. And he knew this lady. She was married to this old Italian man, and they lived many years together, and they had children. And he came from Italy, and, in, and they lived like peasants. And in the living room, they had this big picture of the countryside from where he came in Italy. And every night, he would look at that picture, the wife said, and say, I love that picture. Ten times a night, he said, I, I love that picture. So he made his wife promise him that when he would die, they would bury that picture in the, ca- in the casket with him and bury him with the picture. So he dropped dead. And his wife told the two sons, take the picture down to the funeral home. Took two of them because it was a big picture. So they bring it into the to the director and they said, my father wanted to be buried with this. And he said, we can't fit that in the casket. There's no way. It's too big. And he said, the only thing we could do is cut it out of the frame and roll it up and stick it in. So they said, well, that's what he wanted, so let's do it. And thank God they were there because guess what? When they cut open the picture off the frame, guess what was inside? Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. That old man was so greedy, he wanted to take his money with him in the grave so that it was rot. And he wanted his wife to live like a peasant the rest of her life. This is a true story. And, I, they made, you know, this is a true story. And so what happened, they said the mother was so furious, his wife, when she went to the funeral home to, to pay her respects, she kicked the casket. It came rolling off the stand, and she cursed him. His body came out, and she cursed him. She ended up building a big mansion after that. Now, don't get paranoid and go home and start looking under the mattress to see if your spouse is holding out on you. But this is true. People think they could take it with them when they go. How many people are attached? How many people are attached to their possessions? I remember reading St. John of the Cross once, and he even talked about people being attached to religious objects, to rosaries. And I never forget reading uh, reading that. Last year I was down in Mexico, and this nun came up to me, she was eyeing my rosary, and I love this rosary. And she said, oh, Padre, can I have your rosary? And I wanted to tell her to get lost. But I thought it out, and thank God I gave it up. But we have to examine our conscience. We want to be detached. The only thing we want to be attached to is God's holy will. So when we die, we don't only lose all our possessions. We lose all titles that we have. And of earthly pleasures and diversions, we lose everything. I don't care who you are, the President of the United States, when you die, you lose the title. You can't say, well, I was the President. You know, the Lord's going to say, yeah, that's right. And you're going to be judged a lot more severely now. Better pray for our Presidents, because they're wicked. And I'm not embarrassed to say it or afraid to say it from here. They are wicked. Okay? To die is to take leave of one's father, mother, children, husband, wife, brothers, sisters, and friends without the hope of ever seeing them again on earth until the day of the last judgment. When you die, you're never going to see your loved ones again. Never until the judgment day. And you don't know which side they're going to be on, the right or the left, or what side you'll be on. So now's the time 
to think about this. Now is the time to forgive your mother and your father. Now is the time to forgive your brother, your sister. You know how many people here guarantee will not forgive their own loved ones? You know who you are, and believe me, it's not just one. And I, have, and I know that 100% certitude, that there are people here, that their hearts are hard. And remember our Lord said, if you do not forgive your enemy, I cannot forgive you. What about your loved one, your relatives? It starts at home. And every time you pray that out, Father, you're condemning yourself. You say, forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. You're saying, send me to hell because I'm not going to forgive her. I remember this Italian lady. she come to me and she was having... And I just just felt that she was whole, she was forgiven. I said, you're not forgiving someone. She goes, no, I forgive everyone. No, I said, oh, yeah, I don't forgive my cousin or something. She hasn't sent me a Christmas card. I haven't talked to her for nine years. That happens all the time. That happens all the time. So once again, meditate upon this, that when you die, you're never going to see them again. How many of you would wish you could go back and say, I never said I love you. Never said I... I deal with this all the time, my friends. People come to me and they weep. My mother died. I didn't talk to her for ten years. I wish she could be alive just even five minutes so I could tell her how much I love her, how I forgive her or him. Don't let the devil hold you in bondage. So the one thing we know in life is that it is certain that we will die. That's the one thing we know for sure. The sentence of death has been written against all men. You are a man, therefore you must die too. No doubt about it. When an infant is born, it is uncertain whether he will be rich or poor, whether he will experience good health or bad, and whether he will die young or old. But the one thing for sure is that baby will die, without a doubt. The stroke of death will fall on all people, rich and the poor alike. doesn't matter how much. You can't, can't say, well, listen, I'll give you, Lord, here's a hundred thousand, here's a million, I want to... No! doesn't matter how much money you have. doesn't matter how poor you are. You're going to die. You can't pay him off. When death comes, there is no earthly power able to resist it. Who is the man who lives and shall not see death? Who shall deliver his soul from the hand of death? says in Psalm 89. I don't care how big you are, how strong you are. You could break chains with your bare hands. You can't put it off. When God calls, you have to answer. Though you should live as many years as you expect, a day will come, and on that day an hour, on that day a minute and a very second, which will be your very last one. Okay? It's going to come. It may be tonight. The sentence has, over, has been already passed. What has happened to your forefathers will also happen to you. All our relatives before us have died. We will die. Look at the cemetery when you drive by. It looks crowded. It is. You know, they always say they're dying to get in there, right? It's the truth. 
So this is it. When I did my first mission, I never forget, I preached on death the first night. And the next day I'm getting prepared to go out and preach. And the organist came into the sacristy and this woman was literally trembling. And I said, what's wrong? And she says, you know, you're really scaring me. I said, yeah. So she said, last night when she went home after the talk, she said she received a phone call. There was a lady, 70 years old, I never forget, that used to sing in that quiet air. She was singing somewhere else that night. And in the choir where she was, she had an aneurysm and she dropped dead right there. So it scared her. Right when she was finishing, the pastor comes to me and said, Father, last night, got a phone call. Right after you preached, one of our parishioners, 60 years old, had a massive heart attack and died instantly. And these things happen at the missions all the time. People are dying right now. There's someone dying. Okay? So we know that death, death is certain. But the time of death is uncertain. God has already fixed the year, the month, the day, the hour, and the moment. But the time is unknowable to us. To exhort us to be prepared, St. Paul tells us, the day of the Lord is to come as a thief in the night. And if that's not enough, Jesus himself warns us in the gospel. He says, but if this be assured, that if the householder had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would certainly have watched and not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because at an hour that you do not expect, the Son of Man is coming. Our Lord's telling you, if you know the thief is coming tonight, in the back window, you're going to be there with your shotgun or your bat, whatever you prefer as a weapon, right? Or at least call the cops. But you don't know, and that's, that's why they have the jump on you. Our Lord says the same thing. I'm coming like a thief. You're not going to know. Be ready. St. Gregory the Great says that for our good, God conceals from us the hour of death, that we may always be prepared to die that's why he conceals it. So many people say, you know, oh, I wish I knew when I was going to die. But you know what? If God wanted, if that was the best way, he would let us know. But it's not, because so many people will keep on procrastinating. Say, yeah, well, I know, I got 62 years, and, and then my 61st and a half year, I'll straighten my life out. No way. Okay? St. Bernard, another great saint, says, since death may take away life at all times and in all places, we ought, if we wish to die well and save our souls, to live always in expectation of death. Always. All people know that they must die, but the misfortune is that many view their death at such a distance that they lose sight of it. I mean, let's face it, you all know you're going to die. You don't want to think about it, but most people here probably think they're going to live till they're 80, 90. You all have some kind of number in your head, but you don't know if that's true. How many people die sudden deaths 
we can safely say that not one of these imagined that he should die so suddenly. And on that day in which he died, how many people think when they wake up, this will be their last day? Okay, how many people? I was given a retreat a couple of years ago. I don't know if I told you this yesterday. And they told me about a lady that was, used to come every year to the same retreat. And they said she had a great retreat and she went home. She was driving. When she came off the expressway, a car was coming down the wrong way, hit her head on, and she died instantly. I mean, it's, she didn't know that that was going to be her last retreat. This may be your last mission you ever go to. So there are a few deaths which do not happen unexpectedly. And that's a fact. Most people die unexpectedly. And when, the, therefore, the devil comes and he tempts you to sin by saying, don't worry, tomorrow you'll go to confession. Tomorrow Father Wolf will be back there like he always is. What are you going to say to him? Don't let him tempt you with that, because that's nonsense. That's the sin of presumption. It's a sin against the first commandment. And many, many, many people fall into that sin. How do you know you're going to wake up from your sleep tonight? How do you know? How many poor sinners has it happened to that in the act of feasting on the poison of sin, they were struck dead and sent to hell? It says in the book of Ecclesiastics, as fish are taken with the hooks and as birds are caught with the snare, so men are taken in the evil time when it shall suddenly come upon them. This is scripture saying men are taken in their sins. And you know what happens once again. And you've got to constantly drill this into your head. You're taken in your sin, immortal sin. You go to hell. The good news is that the Lord does not wish anyone to be lost. And therefore, by the threat of chastisement, he unceasingly exhorts us to a change of life. God didn't create you to burn in hell. He loves you. He's done everything for you. He died on that cross for you. But it's not enough. You know, you can't be saved by that alone. Because you have to cooperate with His graces. He could have made you a puppet. He didn't do that. He loves you. You've been paid for by a price. By the blood of Jesus Christ. He's done everything. There's nothing else He can do for you. It's up to you to cooperate with His grace. He doesn't want anyone to be lost. Look what He's given you. He's given you Holy Mother Church. He's given you the sacraments. He gives you His own flesh and blood. He gives you a guardian angel. Many you're born to protect you. He gives you His own mother to be your mother. She's your mother. She's your, more your mother than your biological mother is. This is awesome. He doesn't want you to die. In sin especially. He, he wants you to live with him forever. So if you were to die, and were your lot for eternity to be decided tonight, would your accounts be ready? Is your conscience clear? Is everything in order? How much would you give to obtain from God another year or month or even another day or a minute? How much would you give him and say, 
let me get to confession just one more time. How much would you give for that? Why then do you not now that God gives you the time, settle the accounts of your conscience? Perhaps this, once again, shall be the last day for you. Now, not tomorrow. And there's people here, I'm telling you, that are in grave mortal sin. There's people here that receive Jesus' body and blood, soul and divinity, in mortal sin, and you are committing sacrilege, and you know you are. And I say that because it's everywhere I go. Don't leave here tonight. Whoever you are, get in the confessional, and God will forgive you. There's somebody here maybe who had an abortion 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago. Come in the confessional and cleanse your soul tonight before the Lord takes you. Once again, the Lord does not tell us to prepare ourselves, but to be prepared when death arrives. St. Augustine says that God conceals from us the last day of life, that we may always be prepared to die. St. Paul tells us that we must work out our salvation not only with fear, but also trembling. How many people work out their salvation today with fear and trembling? We've been hearing this for the last 24, uh, 35 years. We've been hearing this nonsense called universal salvation. Everyone goes to heaven. Don't worry about it. That's from hell. That's from hell. There was a theologian. His name was von Balthasar that used to teach that. And then later on, supposedly he retracted. And he was going to be elevated to a cardinal. Two weeks before that, he was struck dead. And now we find out that he wrote meditations on tarot cards, which is demonic. Are you surprised? I'm not. Pray for his soul. Okay? But one of my whole thing is, who's trembling about their salvation anymore? Who believes that there's no salvation outside the Roman Catholic Church? Very few people... Very few Catholics believe that. But guess what? Most Protestants know we believe that. They know we believe that. But how many of you believe that? If you don't believe that, you're a heretic. If you're a heretic, you could be a material one or a formal. And I'll go through that tomorrow night. If you're a formal heretic and you know the church teaches that and you reject that, that is one of the worst sins because it's a sin against the first commandment and when you sin against faith, which that is, you lose all the theological virtues, faith, hope, and charity. And you know what happens? You despair. St. Alphonse says, very, very rare does a heretic ever convert and come back to God. It's one of the greatest miracles that God works when it happens. And so, once again, if death comes and finds us in the grace of God, we have secured everything but if found in sin, we will lose it all. That's all that matters, the moment of your death. Do you wonder why when we pray the rosary, and I hope everyone here prays the rosary, especially as a family, at every Hail Mary at the end, what do we say? Pray for us sinners. What? Now and at the hour of our death. Amen. I mean, does it sink in, though? I don't think so. But it's so important that our Lord, our Lady, has us, wants us repeating it so we'll sink in.
My advice to each and every one of you is pray every day to three Hail Marys that you will be anointed before you will die. It is so important to receive the sacrament of extreme unction. It is important to receive Holy Viaticum because it helps you make that final cross and over to God. Two stories I remember that are very powerful I read about is this man, this priest was lost in the mountains and he's driving. He was upset. It was late at night. And he comes across out of the middle of nowhere, these railroad tracks. And there's a man on the tracks. His legs were cut off. They were severed. A train ran him over. And the priest was amazed. The man was alive. He said, how long are you here? He goes, 45 minutes. So he anointed him right away. Gave him absolution. He goes, what did you do to deserve this grace? Because no one could have their legs severed and bleed for 45 minutes. He'd be dead. He said, I've always prayed three Hail Marys to the Blessed Virgin. I'll be anointed before I die. After the priest anointed him, he died instantly. Don't mess with the mother of God. She'll get you into heaven. I'm telling you, you got to go to her. Another man, another priest, he was in the West. He was on a stagecoach and he comes into town and he had to wait for another one. So he was hanging around, and this man in town said, You know, Father, I have an extra horse. If you want to kill some time, we'll take a ride in the desert or something. So the priest said, Sure. So he's riding in the desert in the middle of nowhere. And they'll see, they see somebody waving a, a white rag. And they ride up, and here's a woman, a young woman. The Indians ambushed them. Her brother was dying. The priest anointed him. And he said before, he goes, what did you do to deserve this? I pray three Hail Marys every day to the Blessed Virgin. That before I die, I'll be anointed. And he died then. How can that be that God had divine providence? If you're faithful to God, he will always provide for you. But it shows you how important the sacraments are. And you need them to get to heaven. Sometimes I go to a hospital, people are very sick, they're dying, they don't even think they're about to get a priest, to get anoint them. It's the most important thing. Forget about the doctor's important, but the, the priest is more important. Your body's going to die no matter what, but your soul won't die. You're either going to go to hell or heaven for eternity. So I'll tell you some stories now about sudden deaths. One of the examples, of course, is the Twin Towers. I come from New York City, and I was upstate in the Friary when the Twin Towers went down, and I saw them go down. Somebody called, and we watched it go down. It was horrible. And I know people that worked there. And I'll give you two examples. One friend of mine is a daily communicant. He prays the whole rosary every day. He reads holy books, good books. St. Alphonse Liguori, other doctors and saints of the church. He knows his faith and he loves his faith and he's willing to die for it. And I wasn't worried about him. I said, even if he, even if he died, I'm not worried about him. But there was another friend I know that I was worried about. So my first friend, the good guy in the first building where the plane hit, he told me it was amazing plane hit, felt the building, he ran out of there, and he kept on running. He got across the bridge before they closed it down. He was home less than an hour. He lives in Long Island. But the other man I was trying to get, and I, we were worried, 
So we had exposition right away. We were praying for all the poor souls. All right. So I get the next day, I get this other man, I get his wife. I said, how is he? Did he make it? And she said, he's here. It's amazing he's alive. So he gets on the phone and he was still trembling. And he said, Father, what a horrible experience. So I said, what happened? He goes, well, when the plane hit the first building, he says they told us not to leave. And he said, we, we saw the building on fire and we're all standing at the window. He was on the 55th floor. And he said, and we watched, and he watched, and all the other people in the office, they were frozen. He said, you couldn't move at the window. And he saw 50 to 100 people jumping from the building, the other building, because they were on fire, flames shooting out the window. They had to jump all on fire, passing them horrible, their faces. And he saw them go to their death. Still has nightmares about it. And then he says, all of a sudden, the plane hit his building. Everybody was knocked down to the ground. You know what he said? I was in mortal sin, Father. I was going to hell. And he was trembling because the devil was drawing his sins in his face. And all of a sudden he thought about his wife who he hates and despises and she's a good woman. And then he wished he could see her again. And he thought about his children he has no time for Never spent any time with. And he said he'd never see them again. He started weeping like a baby. And he said he put his hand in his pocket. He was still on the floor. And thank God he still had the sense to carry a rosary, even though he didn't pray it. And he called on Mary. That's all he could do. She got him out of there. You want to hear something sad in that, my friends? You remember the gospel yesterday? How I told you, when the, when the house is clean, when you commit bad sins, you get in that confessional. That's what the gospel means about that. The house was clean. The devil has to leave when you cleanse yourself in the confessional. And our Lord comes back. The Holy Trinity dwells back in you. And then the demon goes. It says it goes and it goes out. And it comes back. He finds the house all swept and garnished. Garnished with what? Sanctifying grace. And he gets angry. And then what happens? He tempts the soul again. And this time he comes back with seven demons worse than him. Guess what? That man who you think would learn his lesson, he's living a more wicked life now than he ever did. Now he doesn't even live with his wife and his children. He's a disgrace. And I beg you to offer a prayer for his soul today so that he doesn't lose it. And I told him, I said, what's it going to take? He won't even talk to me no more. I said, what's it going to take for you to strain your life out? This is serious. I was given a mission in London one year. I preached on death. The very next morning, big news headlines. That morning, a man was driving his car. He had a trailer hooked on to the back. He lost control. He was coming to an overpass. He went down the hill, and there was railroad tracks there. And the car and the trailer ended up stuck on the railroad tracks. So he gets his cell phone. He's trying to call. And all of a sudden, he hears a whistle. There's a train coming. 
All of a sudden, he hears another whistle. There's a train coming the other direction. The two, he ran out, ran up the hill. The two collided. Many people died that day. Those people went to work that morning like they always did, just like the people in the World Trade Center. I remember that day in the World Trade Center. It was a beautiful day. It must have been like, it was an Indian summer, they call it, like 70 degrees. Beautiful. Did they think that was their last day? There was one story in the, from the Trent Towers that really, really made me think. There was a young man. He quit his job the day before, and he used to work on a hundred-something floor. In other words, if he would have went to work one more day, he would have been dead. Because everyone above a certain floor, they died. So God spared his life. Why? I don't know. He has reasons for it. Because it wasn't his time. He has the day marked, the hour for each and every one of us. So what happened? One month later, his new job, he was a baseball scout. They were sending him down to the Dominican Republic. And he gets on a plane in JFK Airport in New York. That plane crashed into apartment buildings in the Rockaways. And he died. Why did God give him another month? Because he needed it, maybe. It could be us. So we could go. I'll tell you a couple more quick ones. I was doing a mission. I'm ready to leave. And there was, 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 uh, I was reading the news. And there was this cardiologist. He was one of the best in the whole country in New York. And he was on his way to work to save another life. And he's on the Long Island Expressway. It's a big expressway that goes from Long Island into New York City. And there was a truck in front of him, and the truck, there was a piece of metal on the truck, a thin piece of metal. It bounced off the truck and went through his windshield with such force it decapitated him instantly, and the, and the piece of metal continued to go out the back window. That's what force it came. That man was dead instantly. He didn't see that piece of metal even coming at him. It came so fast. He was in mortal sin. He's in hell. And we pray that he wasn't. I don't know where he is, but I pray he's in heaven. But the whole point is that could be you driving home tonight. If it happens, where are you going to be? Heaven? Hell? And one more quick one. A friend of mine, he had a good buddy. They went on vacation, his wife and his little two-year-old girl. And they're coming back, had a great time. And he's coming towards the George Washington Bridge in New York. And there's many levels of expressways. And there was three levels above him. A tractor trailer lost a tire. And that tire came down and hit his car, the roof of his car, and hit him in the head and killed him instantly. He died instantly. They crashed. Thank God the wife and the daughter was all right. But you know what kind of time and exact timing that has to be? For this man to be driving 60 miles per hour, a tire coming, falls off, it has to be so precise, it's unbelievable. He died. Where is he? Hope he was in the state of grace. Another woman was driving a car on Long Island. A bullet, somebody shot a rifle, and a bullet ricocheted off the bay, Oyster Bay, and it came, went over a mile. And she's driving down Long Island Expressway. This guy shoots a bullet, ricochets off the water, Goes one mile, and they meet exactly like this, through a window, hit her in a temple. She's dead. 
So I tell you these stories so that we'll always be prepared to die. This priest I know, he told me what he used to do because he had a fear, a holy fear of death. He said at the end of his bed on the wall, he put up a plaque and it said, Father so-and-so, born, you know, 1959, whatever, and died. And he would update the date to the present day. And he said he lay down there and he looked at that. And he said, you're not straight. You're going to jump out of bed. And he said, and that's it. When you go to bed every night, think about this tonight. It's a dress rehearsal for death. You're going to get in your bed. You're going to close your eyes. You're going to be in that casket right here one day. And I always tell people, before you're in that casket, in that box, get in that box back there, the confessional. Okay? And so what I want to speak upon now, which is so important, is the mercy of God, because it is so abused today. It's horrible. All you hear about is God's mercy and love, but people don't even know what it means. So many people abuse His mercy. How great is the mercy of God in waiting for our repentance. When you offend God, He could strike you dead right there on the spot. But God waits for sinners that they may amend and that He may pardon and save them. How many of us, unfortunately, very few people go throughout life without committing a mortal sin? Very few, unfortunately. Okay? He could have struck you dead. You know, so many people think, oh, a little seven-year-old boy or girl, they couldn't commit a mortal sin. Oh, no. You heard the story of St. John Bosco when he went to hear the confession of this young boy. He was around nine, I think. And he knew he was withholding his sin. Imagine this saint. What a great saint. He's trying to get the sin out of the young boy. Okay? And the boy wouldn't, wouldn't come up, wouldn't come clean. So he told him, I'm going away. I'm not going to be here. So he left. Guess what? That boy died. And they came and Don Bosco comes back and they said, he died. They were weeping. He's dead like three hours. So he said, he's not dead. Bring me in there. He walked into the room, told the boy to get up. The boy set up. And the boy was crying. He said, he was on the precipice of hell. And our lady grabbed him. Our lady grabbed him. And then he's there before St. Don Bosco. St. Don Bosco told him, make a confession now. And he came clean with everything. You can bet your life, because he saw hell. And then St. Don, then the parents came in. They said, he's alive. They were jumping for joy. And they said to, then he said to the boy, you could either die and go to heaven, or you could live. What do you want to do? He says, I choose death. And he died. Probably knew because he was afraid if he lived, he'd probably offend God again. So once again, I want to get on. So God is awesome. He doesn't, you know, no matter how bad your sin is, you could be a thousand times, if it's possible, worse than Adolf Hitler. And if you have true contrition for your sins, okay, and you get in that confessional and you confess them and you have a amendment of life and a validly ordained priest gives you absolution, you're forgiven. Look at, look at uh, Dr. Natherson. He was an atheistic Jew, one of the biggest abortionists in this country. Okay? Killed his own son. He aborted his own son. 
He said he was responsible for over 70,000 murders. And he received an extraordinary grace. He came into the one holy Catholic apostolic church. He was baptized. And when you're baptized as an adult like that, you're not only forgiven original sin, but all your sins. And not only that, God's so awesome, he doesn't even have to do any temporal punishment if he goes to purgatory. Imagine how, that's how awesome God is. Now, I'm not telling you Dr. Nathanson is saved, but he's got a good chance now. He had one hair sticking out of hell up to that point. But my whole point is, God is awesome. He wants to forgive you. He gives us indulgences. You want to read something great? Read St. John Vianney's homily, sermon, excuse me, on indulgences. So awesome. And the church offers them. Are we taking advantage of it? So, God wants us to amend our ways, okay? God cannot turn his face away from those who return to him and cast himself at his feet. He will never reject a humble, contrite heart. Never. He loves to do that. He shows his mercy. Okay? Look at the story of the prodigal son, the parable. When the son committed sin and he was gone. Okay? The father, when he saw him coming back finally, he didn't sit down and become arrogant and say, no, he's going to have to beg for my forgiveness. He's going to have to, you know, humble himself. I mean, those, that's all true. Because that's why he was coming back. But the, what happened was he ran to him, embraced him. That's what happened with God. It says there's more joy in heaven over one repentant sinner than all the just. I always tell people when they get in that confessional, and it's hard for them, well, I make it easy for you coming there. You're in, if you're in bad sin now, you have a horrible sin, you just tell me you're coming, Father, i got something really heavy, you got to help me. I'll get it out of you, don't worry. We'll get it. God will forgive you. He's awesome. And that's the way it is. So you've got to trust Him. He says in Ezekiel, For I desire not the death of him that died, said it the Lord God. Return you and live. It's awesome. And he gives us his mother. She is the key to salvation. Do you hear me? She is the key. She is all mercy. See, Jesus is mercy, but he's justice too. But his mother is all mercy. And the son never says no to the mother. Never, never, never. You know that story about St. John Vianney where he's walking, this woman gets off the train, she's all dressed in black and she's weeping and John Vianney goes, don't worry about it, he's safe. She goes, what are you talking about? You don't know? He made it. He's in heaven. What do you mean? He's in... No, you don't understand. He goes, I understand. The man, she said, tried to commit suicide. He said, between the bridge and the water, God gave him extraordinary grace He made a perfect act of contrition, of love. And that not only cleanses your sins, but it also wipes away all temporal punishment. He went to heaven. And you know why? You want to know why he got that extraordinary grace? Because he brought flowers to the mother of God once out of love from his heart. Imagine that. You bring up flowers one time in your life. Even though you offend up blaspheme her or whatever. If you do, she loves you. But don't presume. You can't presume that everyone's going to get that grace. Saints tell you that's extraordinary. This is how awesome God is. 
So once again, God knows not how to despise a humble, contrite heart. The Lord glories in showing mercy and granting pardon to sinners. But one of the worst things you can do is to abuse divine mercy. This is so, so important. St. Augustine tells us that the devil deludes men in two ways. One by despair and the other by hope. After the sinner has offended God, the enemy, by placing before his eyes the terror of divine justice, tempts him to despair. But before he sins, the devil encourages him to sin with the hope of divine mercy. Hence, St. Augustine gives to all the following advice. After sin, hope for mercy. Before sin, fear God's justice. So important. Don't let the devil tempt you like that. He who abuses God's mercy to offend him is undeserving of mercy. God shows mercy to those who fear him. It says that in Magnificat. Shows mercy to those who fear him. Cast down the mighty from their thrones. Lifts up the lowly. And he only shows mercy to those who fear him. The mercy of God is infinite. But the acts of his mercy are finite. This is such an important statement that you have to understand. His mercy is infinite. What does that mean? Once again, no matter how bad your sins are, once again, if you're sorry for him, he will forgive them. But his acts of mercy are finite, which means he'll only give you so many chances. St. Alphonse says everyone has a number on their head. It's different. You may be two mortal sins. Someone else may be four million mortal sins. We don't know why God works like that. That's a mystery. We know through private revelation, which so many people mock from the saints. They think it's a joke. It's not. These people are great. They're saints. They're one with God. We know that some people are in hell for one mortal sin. One mortal sin. And you know what? In strict justice, that's what a mortal sin deserves. Hell forever. Okay? So... We don't want to abuse God's mercy because his mercy is infinite, but the acts are finite. God bears with us, but he does not bear with us forever. Were God to put up with sinners forever, no one would be damned. And our Lord himself is perfectly clear in the gospel that the road to perdition is wide and easy. Many, many go that way. And the road to heaven is narrow. Few, few go that way. You know, I always want to give a, uh, a, a talk in my missions on the number of saved, number of damned. But you know what? Most people couldn't handle it. It is so scary. When I read it, I tremble, and I don't even like to think about it myself. Because when you read the great doctors and fathers, it would, it's devastating. For instance, St. Thomas Aquinas says the majority of adult, baptized adult Catholics go to hell. Do you find that hard to believe when you look in society today? Most priests, most doctors say most priests go to hell. You, you think that makes me happy to say that? I'm a priest. It scares the heck out of me. But is it hard to believe that most priests go to hell? 
Most priests in our church today, unfortunately, are homosexuals, heretics. It's a shame. You, you know, St. Alphonse says that, God forbid, a priest gets up there and offers a holy sacrifice to the Mass in mortal sin, especially impurity. God will take a vengeance on him. Scary stuff, my friends. So, St. Paul tells us, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For what a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows in the flesh, from the flesh also will reap corruption. But he who sows in the spirit, from the spirit will reap life everlasting. You know the old saying, you live by the sword, you you die by the sword. It's true. Okay? It's true. My friends, death is the most important moment in your life. The devil comes more at the hour of your death, the moment of your death, than he does throughout your whole life. And he doesn't come alone. He comes with legions. And if you live a just, holy life, you will not fear death. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Those that trust in the Lord, that live according to his will, that consecrate themselves to the Holy Mother of God, that come to the sacraments, that eat his flesh and drink his blood in a state of grace, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing at all to fear. But the sinner has everything to fear. And when they die on their deathbed, the devil comes and he throws this sin in their face. i never forget one time I was in the hospital for my grandmother. This lady came up to me. She was a volunteer. I knew her. And she said to me, Father, can you go see this man? He's dying and he's a hardened sinner. i never forget this man. I went to this man. And you ever see the way the bodies looked, like say at the Holocaust, you could see all their bones. That's how he looked. And I talked to this man. I never met a man that had hatred like that. You could see it from his eyes. And when he talked, he was blaspheming. And I tried for a week win this soul over to God and it was scary and then he finally let me pray with him I did deliverance prayers on him but I couldn't get him to make a confession and broke my heart and I begged God for his soul and I never saw him again but when you come across that the devil was right on him filled with hatred cursing God cursing God on your deathbed. Those are demons. And so I want to read to you from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13. We read about the barren fig tree. Jesus spoke a parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he came out looking for fruit on it, but did not find any. He said to the vine dresser, Look here! For three years now I have come in search of fruit on this fig tree and found none. Cut it down. Why should it clutter up the ground? And answer the man said, Sir, leave it another year while I hoe around it and manure it. And then perhaps it will bear fruit. If not, it shall be cut down. What is our Lord saying here? That tree is a human being. Okay? 
the tree that doesn't bear fruits, a human brain, a being that doesn't exercise the virtues, that's not in grace. And he says the only thing left for that is to throw it in the fire. He's talking about hell. But somebody interceded and said, well, wait, maybe we, we could, uh, you know, dig around it, manure it, bring life to it. The Lord gives us chances. If you know someone that's in that situation, that's living a wicked life, never, never give up on them. Never. Never give up on anyone. I don't care how wicked they are. We have to pray for our enemies. We shouldn't want anyone to go to hell. How many of us have, everyone has someone in their family away from God. How many of your family have left, family members have left the church? We gotta pray them back in. And the only way that's gonna happen is if we're on our knees doing penance, like Our Lady of Fatima calls us to do. And we ignore it. Don't give up. Don't give up. We are the church militant. You don't hear that no more. I know you people are blessed you hear it because you have two good priests here. What, is it, what does that mean? Church militant implies that we're, we're an army. That's why the bishop years ago, thank God, and today in the old rites still, they used to give you a crack on the cheek. Today, I think they better start using a two-by-four. Wake us up. Why did they whack you on the cheek? Because it's in your intellect that you would deny God and you're witnessing that I would rather die than betray my God. Okay? We're, we're in a war. Would you fight a war and go to the front line with no weapons, no guns, and the enemy shooting at you? No! And meanwhile, St. Paul tells us we don't fight against flesh and blood, but the principalities of the world. Are you going to fight this fight without spiritual weapons? No. So you got to win those souls over to God. And it's going to take a lot of penance. A lot, a lot of penance. But you got to do it. It's worth it. So I'm going to tell you a story now. A priest told me. It's a true story. It's about this man. He was a championship diver. And he was living a wicked life. So he went one night to the complex, late at night, because he didn't want to be bothered with anyone that night. He wanted to practice by himself. So he went there. He had a key. He got in. He climbs up the diving board. And they left the lights off in the place, because he didn't want anyone to know he was in there. And there was a skylight up. When he up in the roof, and when he climbed up on this high board, he put his arms, turned his back towards the pool, put his arms out like this, and he went to lift his right leg because he was ready to make a backflip, a jump. And all of a sudden, the moonlight came out, and it reflected from his body a cross on the wall in front of him. When he saw that, God gave him an extraordinary grace, and the grace was that he he dropped down to his knees. And he started weeping like a baby. He acknowledged his sin. God gave him. He lifted the veil. And he let him realize that he was living a wicked life. What a grace. Because part of the punishment of sin is blindness. St. Paul says the devil hands you over to Satan to be scourged. And so he wept for ten minutes, he said. And he was sincere. 
And he told God, he promised him he'd go to confession right away in the morning. God knows your heart. I may not know it, but God does. He knows if you're, if you're sincere or not. You can't play with God. He was sincere. So he said, he got up, took a deep breath, put his arms out again, lift his right leg, ready to make the jump. All of a sudden, he heard a click and the light went on. A janitor came in out of nowhere. And when he looked down, he noticed something he didn't notice before. What was it? There was no water in the pool. You know what that means? That God gave him an extraordinary grace. And if he didn't cooperate with that grace at that moment, if he would have said, you know what? So what? My Lord died for me, but I'm going to go hang out with so-and-so tonight and do what I've always been doing. I'm going to go get drunk, whatever he was doing, do drugs. Because i got plenty of time. I'm a young man. He would have made that jump. He would have cracked his head on that concrete and he would have went straight to hell. And now I look out at each and every one of you in front of me and I'm telling you, there is people here tonight and you're on your own diving board right now. Somebody's holding sins back and you know who you are. And God loves you. He's begging you. He's knocking on your heart right now. Come to me, all those who are heavy burdened. But my yoke is easy, my burden is light, and I will give your soul rest. I died for you. I did everything for you. Come to me. I'll forgive you. He's awesome. So don't go home. If you're one of those souls tonight, if you had an abortion years ago and you're embarrassed to confess it, whatever you did, there's no sin that God will not forgive. And I want to speak about time now, the importance of time. St. Bernardine of Siena, another great Franciscan saint, he said that a moment of time is as much value <clears throat> as God himself. That's what he said. He said, because in each moment a man can, by acts of contrition or of love, acquire the grace of God and eternal glory. You hear that? Time is so valuable because in that one moment, you could either lose God or gain him for eternity. It's as valuable as God himself. Time is a treasure which is found only in this life. It is not found in the next, either in heaven or in hell. Time ceases. Mercy ceases when your soul separates from your body. How do you spend your time? Why do you always defer to tomorrow what you can do today? Remember that the time which is past is no longer yours, but the, and the future is not under your control. You only have the present for the performance of good works. Only now. Sanctity is in the moment. God gives you grace now. There's no guarantee it's tomorrow. St. Bernard says, why, O oh miserable man, do you presume on the future as if the Father has placed time in your power? St. Teresa of Avila says, if you are not prepared for death today, tremble lest you die an unhappy death. So that is the conference on death. 
And I pray once again. I will be here all night in the confessional. I don't care if I'm here until 6, 7 in the morning. Go right through because that's what I'm here for, to help get you to heaven. So don't worry about how long we're going to be here. We're here to help save your soul. That's what a priest is for. Okay, so please pray. Continue to pray for the mission that many souls will come and many souls will have conversions. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, amen.